Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast via Zoom is my Ben, my friend, Ben Shalati. Welcome to the podcast, Ben. Hey, Richard. Happy to be here. I always like you to introduce how people can learn your last name and how to say it correctly. So will you help us on that? Yeah. So I joke that my last name roughly rhymes with Beef Patty. So Shalati, Beef Patty. Also, I say that if I had a daughter, I would name her Maddie, so she'd be Maddie Shalati. But it's often mispronounced. I'm just happy when people talk to me. So <laughs> don't worry if you can't say Shalati correctly. <laughs> We're going to talk about Ben's new book. Will you tell us um, the name of your book and where people can find it? Yeah, it's called A Walk in My Shoes, questions I'm often asked as a gay Latter-day Saint. And it's currently sold uh, at Desert Books. You can get it there in person or online. It'll be available on Amazon. I think starting in February. So hopefully you can get it. And um, I'm going to read a review on um, Deseret Book website. Ben Shalati. There, 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 there are reviews already. I haven't even looked at them. There are six reviews up there. They're six. all they're all five star reviews. All this people are one, very kind. This one is dated December 30th. Ben Shalati nailed it. I'll Walk in My Shoes is a much-needed and helpful resource to learn how to better support and minister to your LGBTQ loved ones. As an active Latter-day Saint, mother of a gay son, um, I am deeply grateful for Ben's honesty and openness. I am thrilled Deseret Book chose to publish it. Thank you, Ben, for your light and love that is felt on every page. So... Um, for listeners, this is just a must-read. If even if you're not connected to the LGBTQ, the principles that Ben teaches about how to minister and bring us together as the same human family apply, you know, broader than just LGBTQ. Um, Ben's been on the podcast before, as uh, may, listeners may know. He was on episode ten, um, three hundred plus episodes ago. He's on episode one hundred two, and this episode will be in the three hundreds. So I'm really grateful for Ben. Ben, um, as people may know, is really key to me as I became an ally as a singles ward bishop. I read everything Ben wrote, as I just had this soft heart and this desire to get reprogrammed on LGBTQ issues, and and Ben, very very helpful to me, and continues to be helpful to me. So I recognize his work in the Latter-day Saint community, helping us better understand. But just let's, why don't you give us an update on your life, Ben? Tell our listeners where you work and what age you are, and just a little bit about the people that don't know your station in life. Yeah, well, I'm currently 36. I'll be 37 next month, so I expect presents and cakes, please. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I work full-time at the Honor Code office at, at BYU. And I should also say that I'm here just speaking as Ben Schlatty. I'm not representing BYU in any way right now. It's just me speaking personally. Yeah, I work at BYU in the honor office. I also uh, adjunct a couple classes. So uh, fall semester, fall 2020, I taught a Spanish class. And I also taught a, a, a class called Understanding Self and Others, uh, Diversity and Intersectionality here at BYU. And then this semester, I'm not teaching Spanish, uh, but I'll be teaching two sections of the, of the diversity class. It has been slightly renamed. It's now called Understanding Self and Others diversity and belonging. And you're Dr. Ben Shalati, aren't you? Help yeah. our, let our listeners know your, your academic background. Yeah, so I, I have too many graduate degrees. So I did a PhD at the University of Arizona in uh, second language acquisition and teaching. So my plan was to become a Spanish professor. And then as I was finishing up that degree, I had started a, a support group for LGBTQ Larry Saints in, in Tucson where I was doing my degree. 
And I just, uh, as I got to know more and more people, I just saw more need and just my level of my, my, my ability to help was a bit, a, a bit hindered. Like when someone would call and say they were suicidal, like I didn't know what to do. I thought well, I need to get trained so that I can help people. I help people who are in crisis and struggling. So I, after finishing my PhD in Arizona, I immediately started a master's in social work at BYU to become a therapist. And so I'm also a, a trained therapist. I, I stopped doing therapy in September, I think it was, just a couple months ago, just because with, with teaching part-time and working full-time and then therapy part-time, it was just too many jobs. So I, I cut therapy loose, but I, I use my therapy skills every day. And I'm so glad I, I did that. And maybe I'll, I'll get back into it more. Uh, thanks for all you're doing. Talk about this class at BYU. Um, I recognize you're an honor code officer, and that is, um, but you're also teaching. Um, this is a really cool class, and I think you've had Terrell Givens and other guest speakers. Talk a little bit about that class at BYU, and is it out of one department, or and is it available to any BYU student could enroll? Yeah, so it, it's not it's not through student development. So it's a two credit elective, so anyone can take it at BYU. And the class grew out of me just getting to know a lot of BYU students and seeing that, you know, any like hateful or inappropriate things that happened um, with regards to, you know, talking to LGBTQ students or, or students of color um, just came from a place of, of just ignorance. And that when, when students became educated, that they did better. And, you know, and, and Zion, Zion is a place where people have one heart and one mind. I just really felt this need to help like provide a place where students really get to know one another better. As I saw people have conversations about you know, potentially divisive topics, I just saw a lot of talking past people instead of having real conversations. So the class, the, the first couple of weeks of the class, just kind of lay a, a, a groundwork of how to have difficult conversations, you know, how to um, find common ground, how to build on that common ground, and how to have respectful dialogue uh, about really tough topics. And we and we practice this and model it in class for the first couple of weeks, and then the the rest of the class is is. Uh, Focus on seven different, uh, typically marginalized groups. Um, so we talk about uh, people with different racial backgrounds, LGBTQ plus, uh, women, uh, and, and gender minorities. Uh, we talk about people uh, uh, who have immigrated to the U.S. and people of different socioeconomic backgrounds, and also people who who have different belief systems or who are going through a faith crisis. And the the point of all of it is to, is to say we're going to get to know people in these different. And so I have different guest speakers come uh, from the different marginalized groups to just share their stories. And then the, the readings are all about getting to know people's stories. And it's a very introductory class. Uh, but the idea is let's get to know people. Let's have conversations. And a lot of the readings on purpose, I like pick a chapter from a book or uh, an episode from a podcast. So if someone likes that reading, then they can go and read more on their own. It's a very like dipping your foot into what it means to, to be uh, into diversity. And hopefully, uh, you know, the, the whole goal is that students come away with a better understanding of themselves too. You know, how does my socioeconomic background, how does my race, how does my gender, how do all these things fit into who I am and make me who I am? So that, that's what it's all about. That's cool. Um, what's your vision for that class? Do you hope to teach that? And what's your vision? Do you hope to be at BYU for a long time? And and do more of this kind of work. Give us a feeling for, and I guess no one knows exactly their future, but when you think about your future and where does that take you? Yeah, uh, BYU is stuck with me until I retire. I love it here. Awesome. So, 
So I see myself staying at BYU. You know, I'll stay in the Iron Court office you know, for, for as long as it's the right place for me to be. And you know, I plan on staying here, you know, seven years. You know, at, at the, in BYU administration, you typically move around every five to seven years. So, so who knows how long I'll, I'll end up here. But I love teaching. Like, I'm a teacher at heart. So I, I'm so thrilled that, that, that my supervisors have allowed me to, to teach a class in addition to my normal duties. Um, so I would love to, to keep teaching every semester. I, I would love for this class to be offered more broadly. I would love for other people to, to teach it as well. Um, you know, I would love for it to, to be to be something that, that, that students can take for, for years to come. And I, I got a lot of feedback from my students last semester. I'm, I'm making the class hopefully better this semester. And, you know, I just hope to keep improving it. And I've always loved teaching religion. So I, hope, I would love to like adjunct to religion class in the future. But, you know, who knows? I, I don't know. Right now, I just love where I am. And, and we'll see where the next path, where, where the path takes it's really cool. Um, I did a podcast with Patrick Mason, and and he has a new book, and he kind of talks about the third century of the Restoration, and he talks a lot about where to point as a church maturity-wise and infrastructure-wise, where we can do more of the kind of things that you just listed here. These all these different groups, and and a lot of millennials are looking at what is my religion doing for marginalized groups, not necessarily for me and privilege. For those of you listeners, they're in the middle of privilege, but more for what what am I and what's my faith doing? So it seems like this is very timely, Ben. Yeah, and I got to tell you, general conference in October was absolutely thrilling Why? because the things yeah. we were talking about in class, church leaders were saying the exact same things. I was like, this is so cool. Like, I love being on the same page and that that, that we're talking about all this. Like President Oaks's talk uh, and President Nelson's talk and Sharon Eubanks' talk were just marvelous and things I've returned to uh, multiple times, and uh, because I feel like. You know, you know the, the vision we have of, of building Zion, creating place, a space, is, is something that, that that God is calling us to do right now. I just, I love that. It's, it's thrilling what's happening. Um, I graduated from BYU in 1988, listeners, um, with a graduate degree. I went somewhere else from undergraduate work, and I, I'm just struck right now in 2021 as we're recording this that Ben Chilotti, an openly gay man, um, is a professor at BYU, adjunct professor, whatever the right vocabulary is, works in the honor code office. And do you ever just like go, I can't quite believe, and I, I talk about you, Ben, at times with people, and I say, well, the church is making progress because, you know, we this is an example of where um, we're making progress. and. Just do you ever like kind of go, wow, I, you know, this is not, I, this is really awesome. Yeah. So, so I should, I should tell you when I was doing my PhD in Arizona, I did not like it at first. I almost quit every semester, the first four semesters I was there. I just, it didn't feel, it, it, it just wasn't clicking with me. And so I was home one summer and I asked my dad for a blessing before going back to school. And the blessing he said, he basically told me that I should finish my degree and that. Um, in the future, I would have a job in a position that would be surprising to me that I would love. And, uh, you know, even even two and a half years ago, I would have been shocked if you had said I'd be working at the Honor office and doing what I'm doing. Like, I, I didn't envision, like, what I do now, I had no idea even just a couple of years ago I'd be doing these things. And I love it. Like, I love what I'm doing. So, you know, I do often look back with awe and think, like, how did I get here? And then looking forward, I'm like, where am I going to go? You know, like, like, what is, like, what is the future going to look like? And I don't know, because my life has been so unexpected, but also so wonderful that looking for, I'm like, who, who knows what's going to happen, but uh, I'm just going to do the best I can and trust that it's going to be really beautiful. And I just love the hope that you give younger LGBTQ people, because, you know, you're 30, whatever said, 36. And if I'm thinking of the younger LGBTQ people at BYU or other um, church schools in their 20s and 
um, they now at least can see people 10, 15 years ahead of them um, and how they're able to contribute to our faith or to a, or to a college, and it just gives them hope. Um, and that's something that has changed. You know, I assume when you attended BYU, there was no one like you. Um, you know, there was no, there was no Ben Shalotti in your life. Yeah. I'm doing and, the and, kind of things you are. And so I and, just, and, it, you're, it's a, you're a trailblazer and you're opening doors for people and giving vision and hope to other people. Yeah. Thank you, Richard. I, I appreciate that. And, you know, I, I hope that, you know, I, I don't want to give hope to people in a way like, oh, maybe I could have a life like Ben or live like Doc. I want everyone to like live their best life and be the best version of themselves. Um, and, you know, when I was an undergrad here, I graduated in 2008, an undergraduate degree. You know, I didn't know any other gay students. Wow. You know, I, there weren't any openly gay faculty. It, it was wow. not something that, that was talked about. So a lot has changed. Now, honestly, a lot of that changed while I wasn't here. And like USGA, the, the club for LGBT students, it's not affiliated with BYU, but but is made up of BYU students. Like that started while, while I was gone. And, and you know, I, I'm just building on work that was already happening. And, you know, and more and more people are, are going to build on the work that I'm doing. You know, it's like, I don't feel like I started anything or did anything miraculous. I'm just, I'm just contributing to what had already been. That's cool. You're very good at, um, that's cool. But I just, sometimes I go to 40,000 foot level and I realize how much has changed when you say, I think you said 2008, you were a student at BYU. That's 13 years ago, roughly. And you knew no other openly gay um, students at BYU, and now that's completely changed. And I would, listeners, I think that's a good thing. I think um, the shame that creates about being isolated causes, can be really hard, and you know that, Ben, And but being open and being authentic and having communities support this part about you. Satan's tool, um, in my mind, is one of his biggest tools, shame. And um, being open and authentic um, is one of the greatest ways to eliminate shame. More thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, I I think sometimes people just need a space. They just need someone to talk to. And so my my supervisor has been so kind and he gives me lots of time to be able to talk to students who want to talk. So all students reach out and they'll be like, I'm gay, can I come talk to you? And I say, sure. And they come to my office and we chat. And so, you know, any BOU student who's listening to this, like, if you want to just chat, like, I'd love to have you come by and we can just talk about life. And I just love to hear your story and see where you are. And, you know, I found a lot of people just need, just need a space where they can be them. And I, I want to be that kind of, that person that someone can say, this is what's going on in my life. And I want to be someone who can just listen without judgment and just be with them on their journey. I second Ben's invitation. If you're a BYU student closeted, hadn't told, haven't told anybody about this part of your life. Follow your impressions. Ben would be a very safe person for you. He will keep everything you tell him in confidence, I think. And he's Definitely. nodding his head and it'd be a very safe place, but you need to talk to somebody about this part of your life and follow your impressions. And if you feel like Ben's the right person to do, I think that's one of the reasons Ben is where he is in an accessible situation so that you can talk to Ben. And I'm sure and, and you've had hundreds of these conversations and um, already. Yeah, it's actually really nice like, that I work at BYU because before people would reach out to me like, do you want to meet up at a park? Or maybe you could come to my house and like these strangers would like come over to my house. Now it's just nice to have like a place where someone can just come see me that's convenient for everyone. And, and yeah, it's actually been really nice. And I often have snacks or drinks and I offer people drinks and snacks when I come in and I just want it to be a welcome place. So, and, and, and the secretaries here, like 
they know that people come in to talk to me and they're just, you know, it's, we're just thrilled that LGBTQ students are, are, are feeling more comfortable. And, yeah, talk about, I know you're not speaking for BYU here, but what is BYU's goal with LGBTQ students? And if I'm an LGBTQ student thinking of applying to BYU or a parent of an LGBTQ student thinking, is BYU the right place? To just talk about the administration's feelings about LGBTQ students. Yeah, so when I was a, a master's student here just a couple of years ago doing my master's in social work, I was part of the LGBTQ working group on campus. So I was one of nine LGBTQ students, and we met uh, almost weekly with, with administrators to, to talk about you know, the environment on campus and, and, and plan some events uh, for students. And, and you know, students will often ask, you know, it, it, do I belong at BYU? And uh, Liz Darger, who's the uh, one of the athletic directors, I, I heard her say multiple times, she said, well, you know, where else do we want our LGBTQ members to be than at BYU? Like, we want them to be here at BYU. And so, you know, I know the administration wants that wants BYU to be a place that, 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 is, that is open and welcoming to all the students who want it. Let's um, talk about the book. Um, what caused you to write this book? Writing a book is not like the faint of heart, Ben. <laughs> yeah, it's a long process. Um, so I, I would say the impetus really happened, you know, as I was blogging. Uh, I felt really prompted to, to start blogging, and I came out publicly back in 2015. And blog posts have really short shelf lives. You know, I'll, I'll write a post, I'll work on it, I'll really like it, and for like two days, people care. And then it just goes away. And I mean, it's, it's still there, but then most people don't care about it. And sometimes, you know, someone like you, Richard, will come along and read a bunch of old posts, but for the most part, that's not what happens. And so, you know, I was sharing all these things that I felt were, were important, um, but people just forgot about them. And so I've been wanting to write, write a book for a while, but it's just, it really is a, a daunting task. And, you know, who knows, like if you put all this work into it, who knows if anything's going to happen to it. And so this was um, over two years ago. Um, I was talking to my, my friend Beth and I was sweeping my kitchen and Beth was the mission president's wife in Tucson, and she and I became very good friends while we were there. I was her Spanish tutor, and we, we stayed friends after I left Tucson, after she left, and we were talking on the phone one day, and she said, Ben, you should write a book. I was like, you know, I want to write a book, but just not sure, like, it's just so much work, and she, she said, I will help you with every step of the process, and she promised me that she would be there the whole time, and I said, all right, going to do it. And so uh, that summer, no, it was, it, I didn't do anything for a year. So she promised she'd help me then. Then a year later, I hadn't done anything. And this was summer of 2019. And I finally was like, okay, I got to do this. So I wrote a proposal, Desiree book, and, uh, and, and sent it off to them. And it just went into the ether. You know, now, I, I think it took them a couple of weeks to get back to me. And they said, we're very busy. We might read your proposal in the fall. And I was like, well, that's a very polite no. Um, so then I didn't write anything. I was, I was busy with other things. And then in November of 2019, Desiree Book wrote back and they said, we really enjoyed your proposal. We'd love to see your manuscript. Wow. And I was like, I didn't write anything. So, uh, they said, well, we'd love to see it as soon as it's available. And I said, can you give me six weeks? And they said, as soon as you have it, we'd love to see it. So, uh, I then talked to my friend Beth and, and she helped me the whole way. And, uh, and over the next seven weeks, I, I wrote, basically what is the book now seven weeks wow yeah, it, it was all i did i didn't go to the gym i didn't hang out with a lot of people you know over christmas break i was just writing non-stop and and it was really the, the the main focus of my life for for a month and a half 
And then after after the manager got approved, I was able to fine tune things and you know, rearrange some things. But uh, yeah, it, it was it was a, it was a quick process. But 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 the main impetus of it was, you know, I, I felt like I, I had some some stories and some principles I wanted to share, and I felt like just housing them on my blog wasn't gonna wasn't gonna be a place where people could find them. And you know, I wrote a book like the, the book is meant for church leaders. Like I want bishops and relief site presidents, state presidents, and young women's presidents to. To, to, to pick up the book and have a little bit of an idea about what, what their LGBT members are, are feeling and, and experiencing. And, and honestly, you know, I, I'm a very safe person for people to talk to uh, because, you know, I, I work at BYU. I'm a high counselor. Like, like I'm a safe person. Like I'm not, I'm not a scary gay for someone who feels uncomfortable with, with, with LGBTQ people. And so my, my big hope reading the book or writing the book was for people to hear my story and then feel more comfortable to reach out to the LGBT in their life. So actually, can I just read one of the last paragraphs of the book? Please do. So, so I just felt that this needed to be included. And so this is on the second to last page in the book. So I wrote, uh, I have one parting request. If you are tempted to give this book to an LGBT friend or loved one who has chosen to step away from the church, I would ask you to resist that temptation and pause for a moment. Instead of giving them my story, can you invite them to tell you theirs? And that, that is one of my big goals that, that, that people who become acquainted with me and my story will then talk to the people in their lives and hear their stories because that's really what we need. we need to have much more understanding of the lgbtq experiences of those people who are in our lives already well that brought me to tears because to me that is the gospel of jesus christ is hearing everybody in their stories and honoring where people are and I would assume one of the things you're always nervous about is taking is people using your story and saying this is the way to do it. Um, and that's probably why you put that in there in such a thoughtful way. Yeah, and uh, and that that's exactly why that's in there because you know I, I think since my life feels so comfortable to active members of the church, they just think that everyone can do what I do and live, and live my life, and that that's that's silly. Like this is my life, and I don't want anyone to be like me. And I really hate when my story is weaponized against people who make other choices. And I try to mitigate that as much as possible. So in, in, in the introductory chapter of the book, one of the examples I give is, you know, I, I, I wear glasses. And, and if you were to take my glasses off of my face and then give them to someone else, you just give them blurry vision and a headache. And, and so, you know, I don't think anyone should, should look at my life and say, okay, Ben did X, Y, and Z, you do X, Y, and Z. You know, we all have different prescriptions for our lives. And, you know, I just want people to, to figure out what's going to be the best for them in their life. How should we treat LGBTQ people or straight people that um, separate themselves from our church and choose a path that's outside of, you know, the church path? Yeah. Any thoughts so, on what we do in those situations? Parents may want to know, parents may be thinking about this and just what is my responsibility or church leaders? Give us some thoughts on that, Ben. Yeah. So, um, my, my dad jokes that, uh, he's got, there are a lot of my dad quotes in, in the book and he, he jokes that Desiree book should sell like a pre-highlighted version of all of his quotes because he's like so proud of them. Uh, <laughs> but, but one of the quotes that, that I think is so important that, that I share is, uh, I've probably told this story before, but my, my brother, when I was in high school was dating a woman that was, my sister and I didn't like, and we were worried they were going to come home engaged one day. And I, we asked my dad, well, what do we do if they come home engaged? And uh, my dad said, if they come home engaged, we will cheer for them and we will be happy because they're going to do what they want to do, whether we like it or not. But we get to choose how much will be in their lives. 
And so I would say if someone steps away from the church and, and has a value system different from ours, I want to cheer for all the good that's happening in their life. I want to be happy when they're happy. And, you know, if I have a gay friend who decides to step away from the church and is dating people of the same sex, you know, I want to be just as curious about their life as I would be if they were straight and in the church. Like, I want to hear about their dating life. I want to meet their partner. You know, I, I would say I want to be as actively engaged in, in their life as, as, as I would be if they were still in the church. And, um, and sometimes people might, might have harsh feelings towards the church and, and, and maybe and, and negative feelings and want to express those. And I want to be able to hear those uh, in a way that I can let them know that I'm a safe person to talk to and that, that their disaffiliation doesn't mean that they're disaffiliating from, from me in my life. And, you know, I, I think Elder Ballard talked about this in a BYU devotional back in uh, 2017. Uh, and, and he said, you know, what do we do when someone leaves the church, basically? And he said, don't preach to them. They already know our doctrine. They don't need another lecture. What people need is to be loved. And so, you know, I want to include someone actively in my life, even if they've chosen to step away from the church. Yeah, and I, th- I love that. And I think that's part of your life mission to bring us together as the same human family. And it's easy to do that when we're just around people that are just like us, have the same beliefs, same sexual orientation, same. But when you list all these things in your class that are differences, and marginalized groups, and just I think that's one of your gifts, Ben, is to bring us together as the same human family. Yeah, thank and, you, Richard. Can, can I add just one more thing? Yes. You know, I, I I so appreciate when people ask me questions and try and get to understand me. Unfortunately, I've seen a lot of people when they leave the church, no one asks why. You know, no no one tries to understand that that decision is kind of this is uncomfortable. We're not going to address this. And so, you know, when I have friends who step away from the church, if it's appropriate and we have that kind of relationship, you know. I asked them, can you help me understand, um, you know, where this decision came from? And, and, and then I let them share their story. And, you know, we need to listen to LGBTQ stories. We also need to listen to, to stories of, of people who, who have faith transitions. Um, and I, and I'm, I'm confident enough in, in, in my faith and my beliefs that, that hearing someone who has, has, has shifted their faith or lost their faith or, or, or grown their faith in a different way, um, that I, I want to I hear those stories. How do you get confident enough in your own faith and your own um, direction in life that it's not triggering or upsetting to hear people that are having different experiences? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's all about what, what Alma said in Alma 32 about, you know, uh, planting the word and how it's like a seed. And if you plant it, it will grow. So, you know, I, I do a lot to nourish my faith. Um, you know, there are, there are daily practices that I, that I have that are really important to me. And and also, I think just naturally, I have I have an internal locus of control. Like like I am making decisions based on me, and not on what's happening around me. Uh, at least that's that's what I what I aim to do. And so, you know, when someone makes a choice that's different than mine, it doesn't affect the choices I make because these are choices I made intentionally for me. Um, talk to just I'd like you to keep talking about the book. Anything you want to talk about the book? If there's local leaders, since the book's kind of written to local leaders, things that. You particularly want them to learn from the book. Yeah. So there, there are a couple of chapters that I really wanted to have in here that I'm very grateful that Desra Book um, helped me keep in. Uh, you know, I, I, I tell normal sto- like the, like stories of, of coming out and coming to realize I, I was gay that I think you know have, have already been shared and you know I'm just adding to, to those stories. Um, in, in, in Tom Christopherson's book, he talked about the November 2015 policy. When he wrote the book, that policy was still in place. So I, I have a chapter on the policy, just talking about when it was instituted, what it was like during the policy, then and what it was like to have it be reversed. And I, I think that's a really important chapter for people to understand 
uh, what that process looked, what what that what those uh, years were like for, for someone like me, who is actively engaged in the church and, and trying to, to remain in the church. Um, so I, I think that that's an important chapter. Uh, the other chapter I think that is really important is I, I have a whole chapter about a same-sex romantic relationship that I was involved in um, with with Jordan, and uh, you know uh, Tom once again in, in his book he he talked about a really a relationship that he was in, but he didn't really go into a lot of depth about. It. So I just want people to see you know, what was it like for someone who was who was gay and active in the church to fall in love with another man and how how that's how that was navigated and and what that was like for me. Um, because I think so often we don't really look at, um, we're uncomfortable with, with the stories of, of, of two men falling in love or, or two women falling in love. And so I really wanted to, to show, you know, what that, what that was like for me. And, uh, and I, I'm, I'm really, that, that, that's one of my favorite chapters in the book. And, and a lot of the stories in the book I, I told before, and that was a story that I hadn't really told before. So it was nice to, to write that. Um, another chapter that I think is really important is I, I write about um, the importance of, of bringing people together. I start about I talk about what I did in Tucson, I started this LGBTQ group, and and just what what that experience was like. And and you know I hope that there are some principles in there that, that people can can see and, and, and apply in their own local areas and congregations. Uh, because you know I, I I don't try and tell people what to do, but like here's what I did. Here are some principles, and here's why it's important to bring LGBTQ together. Uh, talk about just um, why that relation, talk more about that relationship um, that you haven't talked too much. You fell in love, a pretty natural thing if your sexual orientation is towards men to fall in love with a man. Um, so that happened in your life. Just talk a little bit more how you navigated that and, you know, and why you ended up, I assume, ending that relationship and, and so you could, you know, stay in full fellowship in the church. and. And the sac and sort of the sacrifice of that. That's obviously something when I was at BYU, I didn't have this trade-off between falling in love with someone I was wired to fall in love with and fully participating in the church. Yeah. Um a great question, Richard. Thank you. Um I, I wasn't looking to start a relationship. I wasn't I wasn't on a dating app. I didn't even have a smartphone back then. Um <laughs> I, I wasn't trying to date. It's just like we met and became friends and just be became really close. And but before either of us had even come out to the other one, like Jordan told me that he loved me. And I remember thinking, oh, well, he means it's like a brotherly love kind of way. But at the same time, it like felt so good on the inside that he like said that he loved me. And then after we came out to each other, he's like, well, maybe we can't flirt anymore because we've obviously been flirting, but like no one had like talked about the elephant in the room. But I was like, actually, let's keep flirting. It's kind of fun. And so it just kind of built over time. And we, we, we talked every day. This, this was a long distance relationship. I was in Arizona and he was uh, in Utah. And uh, so, you know, it, it was it was very much just like we, we were friends who just like really loved each other. And I, I call it the chapter uh, really super awesome best friends because he asked to be my boyfriend. And I kept saying no. I was like, but we can be like really super awesome best friends. Like that was my, that was the way I was explaining it. Like, like it just like felt so... I didn't know what to call us because I wanted him to be my boyfriend, but I wasn't allowed to do that. And then uh, I, I came up to to Utah um, for some, something work related um, in, in April uh, after we'd been talking for almost every day for, for months. And I, I stayed at his house, uh, at his parents' house. He was still living with his parents, and and uh, I spent the weekend there. And you know, I set like some ground rules about like what we could and couldn't do. 
And, you know, definitely off the table was like holding hands and kissing. And then uh, he picked me up at the airport and he said, is it okay if we hold hands? And in the car, and I said, no, we're not going to hold hands. I stuck with my gun. And then in the next 10 minutes, I just like thought about all the times I'd held hands with women. I hadn't wanted to. I would already always felt so forced. I was like, but I want to hold this hand. Like this feels natural. And so 10 minutes later, I changed my mind and we held hands. It was great. And then he wanted to kiss me. And I said, no. And a couple of days later, I gave in and we kissed. And it was like, I kissed a girl before and it was terrible. And this just feels so good and so normal. And, and it just felt so natural. And just like, and I was like, I get it. Like, I get why people kiss each other. Like, I didn't get it before, but like, now I get it. Like, I get this, this thing that so many humans want to do. And so it was really wonderful. And then I, I went back to Arizona and I, I talked to Jordan again. I was like, Jordan, we, we can't do this anymore. Like, we can't kiss. We can't be physical. Like, we can be friends, but just can't have a physical relationship. I can't have a boyfriend. And after that, he was like, you know, Ben, this isn't going to work. Like, I want to be in a real relationship. and You can't do that. So things are done. And our friendship basically ended. And I went to Peru uh, to work for the summer. I was supposed to be there all summer. I lasted half, half the summer because I was so sad and I was just so homesick, which was not like me. I, I, I've lived away from home most of my adult life. And I just had to go home. And so I came home halfway through the summer and I, I got in my car in Arizona and I immediately drove up to Utah. And I told Jordan that I had changed my mind, that I was going to pick him over the church, that, that, that our relationship was so important that I was going to pick him over, over the church. And he was so wise and so kind. And he said, Ben, I know you better than that. You would pick the church over me. And he said, this isn't going to happen. So I got uh -huh. back in my car and I drove up to Washington to my parents' house and just unloaded everything on them. And, and, and they were just like so good and so kind with it all. And, and I feel like the reason that this is important is people look at me and they're, they're like, they're like, Ben, you are like so good and so faithful and so strong and people's words, not mine. And, and, but the truth is like, like I was one Jordan's decision away from stepping away. From like if he had said, okay, Ben, let's do this. Let's work on getting married, like, like work towards marriage. Like who knows where, where it'd be now. And I just want people to understand like, like the complexity of these choices that, that we're all making. And, and it was, it, it was such a tough decision for me to like, all these decisions have been really tough for me to make. And, you know, who knows if, if Jordan said, let's date, like what would have happened? Like, I, I, I don't know. Cause I, that's not the path that happened. Um, but I'm very grateful for, for where I am right now. So my hope with these stories is that people can just see some of the complexity and not just say, oh, well, just make this choice. Ben made this choice. And the truth is, like, staying in the church at that moment, like, wasn't the choice I made. It was the choice that was made for me. And then as I thought more and, and prayed, I, I felt, like, like internally, the choice that I wanted to make was to move forward in the church. I love that you shared that on the podcast right now and in the book. And I think it takes courage and vulnerability just to be open like that. I think it's, you know, listeners, we, the church teaches that sexual orientation isn't a choice and you can't change this. So Ben is just wired to be gay. And so it would be very normal for him to have crushes on guys and want to hold a hand, want to kiss. And I think if we normal, I think if, if we de-shame that part of the equation, then people just make better decisions. So I think Ben sharing that to me isn't, a sign of he's not committed to the church or he's advocating something. I think he's just sharing his personal journey to help us understand the complexity of his road. And I think it's great that he shared that. Um, it might've made me uncomfortable 10 years ago to hear that. It doesn't now, Ben, because I just recognize that's how you're wired and it would be really pretty normal for you 
have those kind of experiences with guys that I was having with women at BYU. And that's just, that's just the reality of our two lives. Um, but it also, I think, builds empathy for the complexity of your... I wrote down this dichotomy, I don't know if that's the right word, of we make you the hero one day and the villain the next day. Mm-hmm. And I just, this is listeners, if Ben had chosen to be in a same-sex partnership, I hope we wouldn't have made him the hero one day and the villain next day. I hope we just would have seen him for the same great person he is, walking a really complicated road. And our job is not to assign judgment to Ben, but just to love. Um, any thoughts on that? Yeah. And thank you, Richard. I, I really appreciate that. And, you know, a lot of the choice, so this all happened when I was 29 and 30. So this was, you know, six, seven years ago. It was, it was a while ago, but you know, I was like a real adult. Like I was, I was an old, like I wasn't, I wasn't YSA. Like I was an old person when I was making these choices and I was making, like, I had so much shame and just like so yeah. much, like so much internalized homophobia. And, and this relationship really like helped me like move Asked that in, in a lot of ways, just like realized, like I wasn't broken. Like this was just, you know, part of like you said, like how, how I was wired. Um, and then, but like the reason I I told Jordan that I was going to pick him over the church was because I was terrified. Like like I was absolutely terrified. Like like I loved him and wanted to be with him, but also like I was terrified of being alone. And I think there was a large portion of me wanting to choose him over the church that was based on incredible fear that I was just going to be lonely and sad for the rest of my life. And I just couldn't see a way that I could move forward. And, you know, I know a lot of people who are, who are in that place right now where it's like, they're just so terrified about their futures. And I was lucky enough that, that I, I spent a whole month at my parents' house um, during that summer where, you know, they just told me all these just like beautiful things, just like told me like, like, like choose what you want to do. Like, like we're going to be here for you. And, and I, I got to see that, that I, that I wasn't going to be alone on this journey. And, and so you know, I, I don't think I did anything incredibly miraculous. I just, I, I, I was making fear-based choices and spending time with my parents helped me make faith-based choices and, and choices based, based on, on, on love. And once I was able to see that like my family was going to be with me no matter what, that's when I got to take time to say, well, well what do I want my to look like? What, what do I want to do? And that's when I kind of stopped thinking about my future and, and thinking, okay, well, what, what is my 10-year plan? I was like, okay, I don't know. What is my one-year plan? Like, what am I going to do tomorrow? What am I going to do in the next three months? As I started praying about that, I just felt really compelled and, and called by God to continue living church teachings. And so while it wasn't an external thing before, then became an external thing. And so, you know, I like really, I'm no hero. I'm just someone who used to make decisions based on fear. And now I try and make decisions based on faith. And it's led me to a place that I never thought I'd be in. You know, I can't imagine a future where I would be outside of the church. I just don't see that happening. But at the same time, like, I don't know what my life is going to look like in years. Um, but I, I trust that, that God will guide my next step. Talk about the policy statements. Just anything you want to reference from that chapter that's instructive to um, listeners about how to process, just what, why you talked about that and some principles of that. Yeah. Um, I think that there's there's a, a really important thing, and I actually don't mention this in, in the book, but um, at, at the B1 celebration, which was a, a commemoration of the, the 40th anniversary of the, of the revelation that, that, that extended the priesthood to all worthy males, regardless of race, I, I went to that, and, and President Oaks gave, gave a talk there. And one of the things he said was that he had prayed about 
about the, the restriction before it was lifted. And he had studied out all the reasons for why it had been given and how none of them, he never felt the spiritual confirmation of any of them. And I, I'm paraphrasing. You can see yeah, that that's what I think you're right. And, and, and I remember him saying that just being so struck that he's saying, I, you know, these reasons were given for the policy, but they just never felt right to me. So, so basically in the chapter, I talk about, you know, the November 2015 policy, I'm afraid about it, I'm pondered about it, but it just never felt right to me. Like I just, all the reasons that were given just never felt right to me. And I, I felt like someday it would go away because it just didn't feel right to me. And the more I talked about it, the more I prayed about it, like the, the more and more it just didn't feel right in my mind or my heart. And yet I felt like I could move forward with, in, in faith in the church. And, and that's, that's what I did. And you know, I talk about this moment when, um, when a, a few months after the policy, President Nelson, who I think was then president of the Quorum of the Twelve, uh, he, he said the policy came by revelation. And that just like was a dagger to my heart. I was like, how could this thing that doesn't go right to me be a revelation? Uh, and then when he was called to be president of the church, like that, I remembered that moment. He said that it was a revelation. And I just, I just like didn't trust him. Like I, I had trouble trusting him as a prophet. I was really concerned. And I remember, um, you know, raising my arm to the square as he was being sustained, just like feeling this like electric feeling of the spirit, just like uh, this Im Im immense confirmation that he was the person called, God had called to be the prophet. And, and I feel like I got such a strong impression because I needed it, because I was concerned. And then as I've watched the, the you know, President Nelson preside over the church, I just like seen all these amazing good things happen. And um, and then and then on the day that the the priesthood or the the revelation was 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 uh, or the the policy was reversed, um, I remember I was sitting in a class at, at BYU and you would actually text me. You said I heard something's going to happen in a little bit. And I I didn't know what it was. And like ten minutes later, you know, it came out on KSL or something. And I was in class. I was like, I gotta go. So I just like stepped out of class and just like went and sat in the hallway and I like said a prayer of thanks. But I, like I just like wanted to cry. I just like wanted to feel all my feelings and I just like didn't. Like, I just didn't feel anything. And then I went back into my class and my teacher asked me what happened. So I told her and like, people were happy and congratulatory. And, and I was happy too, but I just like, wasn't sure what to feel. And then um, one of my classmates, her name is Candy. And she was, she's, she's in her late fifties. And, and after class, we kept talking and she like, gave me this big hug and, and said, Ben, you have taught me so much. And I'm just so happy. Like this happened. And then I was writing about that, that experience in my journal that night. And I just, I just like sobbed. And, and what I was finally feeling was like all these people who had been with me all along, like they were still, still going to be with me. And I just, I just felt so much that, 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 that people in the church, like Larry Saints wanted me in their community and in their congregation. And, and so, you know, I, I don't know, like, I, I don't try and answer like, 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 why did this thing happen that didn't feel right to me? But um, what, what, what I do conclude is that I feel like it was done out of love. And I, I feel like it was motivated by love. And, and sometimes things happen out of love that, that don't always lead to the desired outcomes. And, you know, there's this difference between, between um, impact and intent. And sometimes our intentions can be good and the impact can, can be painful. Um, but, but, you know, the, the, the main message I got that day was, uh, was that the people in my life that know me and care about me, they love me and want me their lives. That's a great segment, Ben. Um... I wrote down the word grace in big capital letters as you were talking, the grace you give to our leaders, the grace you give to our church in the middle of really complicated things. And I think it's okay to be a faithful Latter-day Saint like you are and talk about things that are difficult for you and painful for you. And I hope we just 
wrap our arms around fellow Latter-day Saints as they open up around about difficult things and not and not judge them because then they'll just leave. <laughs> yeah. But if they can feel like they can be open with the complex things as they continue to sustain and support, that to me is where we keep people, really good people in our fold like you and the people around you that helped you during that time. Um, and I love you being honest that you weren't comfortable with the policy statements and you still supported President Nelson and you can do both of those things at the same time. And I think a lot of members need that sort of framework. I was uncomfortable about the policy statements. You know, I talked a little bit about in my book. It was, you know, probably one of the things that made me sort of say, okay, I, I'm going to listen to LGBTQ people tell me about LGBTQ people now because I just felt like I wanted to really listen. So um, it had a little different impact on me, but it also, um, I learned a lot. Yeah, and, was, and Richard, I, I think that takes <laughs> maturity to be able to say, there's this thing that makes you feel uncomfortable, it doesn't feel right, and yet I'm going to move forward. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying what, what anyone should or shouldn't do, of course, but, but, you know, I was at a place where I felt like something painful or hurt could happen, and yet I felt like I could move forward. And um, yeah, I, I thought about, you know, I, I finished writing the book you know, almost a year ago, and, you know, I've, I've, I've continued thinking about these things. And, you know, the, the truth is that Zion is, it can be a toxic place for me. Like, like really terrible things have happened to me like at church. And, and, you know, that's because, you know, as Elder Holland said once in general conference, like God only has imperfect people to work with. That must be terribly, terribly frustrating for him. Yet he deals with it. And so can we. And, you know, Zion is a place of imperfect people trying to be perfect. And when you put in people perfect together, some toxic and terrible things are going to happen. And, you know, despite the, the, the things that have happened that have been really painful, um, like, this is where I feel called to be. This is where I feel called to be part of the body of Christ and where I feel called to, to build his kingdom. And yeah, so, so you know, I, I think it, it takes spiritual maturity to be in a place where, where, where you can say, you know, I don't feel comfortable with this, and yet I'm going to move forward. Um, I've certainly learned that church can hurt and it can be difficult and toxic for people and have a testimony of a restored gospel. So. Um, I, I'm with you on that, and I think, uh, I, I call it church-generated pain, Ben, when, I mean, if the pain that comes into your life isn't connected to the church, it's easier to turn to the church to heal that pain. But if the pain coming into your life is from the church, it's more complex to lean back into the church to heal that pain. Um, and maybe that's, any thoughts for just listeners that have felt this kind of church-generated pain or felt some of the talk, just felt some of the things and still want to kind of get through that so that they can stay in the church. They'd actually love to find a way to stay in the church and navigate these difficult experiences they've had. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I would say it's really important to just be honest about your feelings. You know, I don't think that there's any way that you, you know, uh, what, what I would tell my clients in therapy is you know, we often like should ourselves like, well, I should be doing this. I should be, I should be feeling this way. And you know, what I tell people is feelings are, are just information. Our feelings, help us know like what's going on. And so if you're feeling like something's hard or painful, that's not something you should push away, but, but I would you know, lean into that and explore it. And I would talk to people who, who you trust, who you can openly share your feelings with and, and, and explore those. And I had a number of people in my life who, when I would talk about tough things happening, they wouldn't say, Oh, just pray about it. Just have faith. Like they listened. And they let me, they let me explore those feelings. And that was a really help, 
a really healthy, helpful thing. So I would say, let yourself feel your feelings and then, you know, talk to trusted people that you, you can explore those feelings with. And, you know, I have found that, that only a handful of times in my life has someone like needed to tell me what I needed to do. Most of the time, the answer was already inside of me. And I just needed to discover why I was talking. And so I would say, find someone that you can talk to and just explore your feelings with because, you know, I don't, I don't know what you should do. And as, as you figure out what to do, um, it's important to, to explore what's going on with some questions. Other things you'd like to share from the book? Yeah, you know, um, my, my mom is a main character in the book. And, you know, I, I think who I am is a really a credit to her and, and my dad. Um, I was raised really re- remarkably by, by two incredibly affirming people. And uh, I didn't realize I was weird until I was older. <laughs> that, my, that, I, that being raised by, by loving, kind, affirming people wasn't necessarily the norm. Um, so I just, you know, my mom has, has pretty advanced Alzheimer's now. And, and I, I'm just so thrilled that, that people get to, get to know her a little bit through the book and that, and that you know, her memory will, will live on for quite a while. Um, another thing I, I want to share that isn't like, so the, the first people that came out were my friends, uh, Mitch and Craig. And uh, as I was, as, as after the book was done, I thought, well, who am I going to dedicate the book to? And I felt an incredible prompt to, to dedicate the book to Mitch and Craig. And I, I actually gave Mitch his copy when I was uh, in Washington uh, during Christmas. And, and he said that, he said, this is too kind, like dedicating a book, like this is too much. And I said, no, this is the right thing to do because you you responded like the right way. Like who were the people I needed to talk to at that moment? And you know, I hope that people will know like what a sacred experience it is when someone comes out to you. And um, because to me, like that experience was so sacred that, that I wanted to, to memorialize that by 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 dedicating the book to them. Um, so you know, that, that's something people might just like brush over um, reading it, but uh, th- that that really is a, a message I want I want straight people to have is the sacredness of, of being led into someone's life. And it's your time to, to listen and not your time to talk. And that happens. Talk about um, your podcast. Let's, I want to make sure people listening to this podcast connect with your podcast because your podcast, along with Charlie Bird, your co-host, is awesome. Um, so tell us Thanks, about Richard. that podcast. So it, it, it came out of, uh, it, it came out of nowhere. It wasn't something I was expecting to do. Uh, so when I finished the project, I was like, okay, well, what is the next project? So I, I finished the first, like the first draft of my, my manuscript in, in January. And then in, in late January, I was on a panel at BYU, this is January of 2020. I was on a panel at BYU called Understand, what was it called? Reconciling Faith and Sexuality. And I was, I was one of the panelists and BYU students were allowed to submit questions for the panel. And I think we addressed one of the questions on the panel. Um, and there was a list of like 20 questions that, that didn't get answered. And so I, I, I posted about this experience on, on Facebook, uh, on being on this panel, one of my friends, her name is Lisa, and she, she messaged me that, uh, on a Sunday morning after, uh, a couple of days after the panel on Facebook. And she said, Ben, I, these panels are really cool. I would love to go to them, but I can't. I'm a single mom. Uh, but it would be really great if you could just like, do a podcast where you just answer people's questions. And I wrote it back. I was like, that's a lovely idea. I have no desire to do a podcast. I don't even know how to do that. It's too much work. And so I said no. And then I went to church that afternoon. And as I was sitting in sacrament meeting thinking about it, I just felt, dude, I need to do this. This is what I need to do. And, you know, I try and like see what the gaps are and like try and fill in gaps. And Richard, your podcast is beautiful because you 
have people like tell their their stories and that that is awesome um but it, it's hard to like find the story that, that's meant for you and so we thought well instead of telling having someone tell their whole story we're just gonna have a guest and we'll just discuss a question and we're not cool. trying to answer the question we're just going to discuss it with, with a guest every week and so that, that's what we've tried to try to do we just we started with this list of 20 questions from byu students and then people have submitted more questions as as we've gone on and so we're just going to do the podcast till we run out of questions. And I have no intention of doing the podcast long-term. Once we're out of questions, I'm going to stop and I'll do something else with my life. Uh, but we've got 40 more questions to go so far. So you got another year of content probably. <laughs> and then I'll do something else. But, but that's really where it came from. You know, people having questions. And, and our audience, um, you know, the, the person we're talking to is, you know, I picture like a, a 21-year-old BYU student recently home from their mission realizing that their orientation is, is what it is and that it, it might not change. So they have all these questions. They don't really feel comfortable uh, talking about them yet. And so, you know, there are three of us at a table recording and I kind of envision like the listeners, the fourth guest who is participating in the conversation, not quite ready to talk. It's a great podcast, listeners. I have listened to your episode. I, tell us, is it's called, Is There a Place for Me in the Church? What episode number is that? That's episode 37. Um, with you, Charlie and McKay Bryson, it was really honest and vulnerable and a little, and it was very insightful to me to sort of understand the complexity of your road and you, and just tell us a little bit about that episode. Yeah. So the episode happened because that wasn't a question that had really been submitted that was on our list. Um, but, uh, on, I, I'd been watching this show called Love Victor with my friend Heidi. And um, it was it was about a, a gay team who closeted, like trying to come to grips with his orientation. And and uh, Heidi and I watched this whole series together. Then when it was over, she asked me what my deep thoughts were. And it was like 11 p.m. I was like, let's talk about it later. I need to go home and go to bed. So I left and got, went to my car. And when I got to my car, I was like, no, we have to talk about this now. I just felt prompted to talk about it now. So I went back in and I and Heidi let me back in and asked me what my deep thoughts were again. And and I said. I, I told her some of the things I liked from the series and, and some things that really resonated with me. And then I said, but, but this couldn't exist in the LGBTQ Larry St. world. Like he was worried about certain things, but you know, we are like LGBTQ Larry St. are worried about so much more. Like if we come out, are we like wrecking our eternal family? You know, if, if we, if we come out, are people going to, are people going to reject us? Like there are all these like added layers that are already hard for the LGBTQ in, in a straight society. And, and she said, so how are things? And I said, they're bad. Like things in the church are bad. Like things are bad. Like, I mean, you know, I'm positive and optimistic, but honestly, things are bad. And I told her a couple of stories and then she was super kind and listened. And I was on the verge of tears the whole time. And, and I, I'm, I'm really good at like saying what my emotions are, but I'm not so good at showing them. And so, and so like every time I like was about to cry, I was just like make a joke, move on. And so I, when I, so that night I, I was talking to Charlie, I was like, and I just like told him everything I was feeling. He's like, I feel the same way. Like we, we have to talk about this. And we were talking to him and McKay was there too. And, and so he, he was on the, he, we asked him to be on the podcast. And he, he agreed. And so the, the whole episode was just talking about like how we have felt uh, like, like, like the pain of being openly gay in the church and what that's been like for us and really the, the lack of answers that exist for us. And, and how we feel marginalized, but also how we move forward and how we have hope. And so, you know, I, I often have a really optimistic perspective and I am optimistic. And I think like, I just have the spiritual gift of hope. It's just really easy for me to hope. But at the same time, like things are really tough. Things are really hard. And I think people need to know that. And I think often when people look at my life, they don't quite get how hard it is for us. 
And uh, we've got more messages about that episode than any other episode. People are saying like, what can I do to help? You know, how, how, can, how can I lift where I stand? And just like really beautiful things have happened. And, and you know, I'm not trying to like be a wet blanket, but things are hard and there's a lot we can do to make things better. That's what that episode was about. I'm glad you and Charlie got pretty vulnerable on that episode. And I think that helps us know how to better support. And I think sometimes, you know, I think one of your points was if it, if it, if Charlie and Ben were kind of in the middle of all this support and have books and all this support, if it honestly is actually this hard for them, think of what it's like for other LGBTQ Latter-day Saints and that don't have this support system and, and all is not well in your life. I mean, I, you know, it's, it's a really, I go, I mean, it hit me once when we did a fireside together, Ben, and in a Boston YSA ward, it was a Zoom fireside. And you and I both participated. And after we signed off, I thought about you because I went and told my wife about it. And she was interested in the fireside. And then coincidentally, my daughter's bishop, who's in another ward, was there. And he's, texted her and said, I heard your dad speak in this fire center. It was really good. But then I thought of you, Ben. And I thought, who did you go, who in your life did you go share that you were just on this fireside with? And who do you have to just share your hardest and your best moments with? And I think you have a landlady and you read yes. scriptures with your landlady. And I see that on social media, but that's different. <laughs> um, and that's a small example, but I just, listeners, I mean, this is an area where I think if I say as a podcast host, all is well, and I would be fooling myself and our listeners, we just have a lot of work to do in this space because everybody, in my opinion, should have feel the balm of Gilead and have the same level of joy. And I recognize that LGBTQ Latter-day Saints are not having the same experience in our churches as straight Latter-day Saints by and large. And I just say that as a I don't say that authoritatively, but just in my experience. Um, and it's just, we have more work to do. Thoughts, Ben? Yeah, well, Richard, I, I think that's incredibly kind of you just to like, put yourself in my place and kind of see what I might be experiencing. And, you know, sometimes I, I give firesides and well, I used to give firesides in person and I would get into my car and drive home by myself. And, you know, sometimes I'd have friends go and I just really like, I appreciate that, you know, but the truth is like, I don't have a partner like, like, like you do. Right. And, and, and that's, you know, that's one of the, the choices that I've made. To, to move forward in my life the way that I have. And, you know, I, I think you hit on something really important. And th there's a, a verse in 2 Nephi 28 uh, where Nephi says that the devil will cheat our souls by getting us to say all is well in Zion, yea, Zion prosper. So if we are saying all is well in Zion, that is the devil cheating our souls and getting us drifted down to hell because all is not well in Zion. And, you know, it's not up for me to say what the church should and shouldn't do. Like that's, that's not my stewardship or my role. But it is my job to say, okay, within my sphere of influence, what isn't well and what can I do to make it better? Um, because things aren't going to be well until the Savior comes again. And so we need to be doing everything we can to, to make things better. And, and Richard, I, I think, you know, as you were talking, one of the things, one of the scriptures that came to my mind was from, from Acts chapter 15. And this is when a bunch of Gentiles start going to church and, and church leaders are kind of arguing about what they should do with these Gentiles. Like, should they be required to be circumcised and live the law of Moses or not? And so they're having this argument in Jerusalem. And then Peter stands up and he says, uh, he says, why tempt ye God to put a yoke on our brethren that neither we nor our fathers can bear? 
And I just love that he's saying, you know, we struggled living the law of Moses. Why are we requiring them to do it? And I think we need to be very careful to not ask someone to do something that we ourselves can do. Love that. Um, talk about in episode 37, um, what have your gifts been is using the scriptures to create vision and teach principles. But you talk about the brother of Jared mm-hmm. and taking us into this new unseen land before that we've never seen before. Um, that I love that. And I'm pretty sure that's in episode 37. Share that with our listeners. And I don't know if it's in your book too, but it was just, it was great. So I just want to actually tie this into my book really fast. So uh, when I submitted the original manuscript, the book, I knew it wasn't right. Like the ending wasn't right. And I, I ended by sharing this quote from President Nelson about how you know, the joy in our life is less about the circumstances of our lives and more about the purpose of our lives. That's why I ended it. It just didn't quite feel right. That quote is still in the book, but it's not the end anymore. And so after the book was approved, I was like, okay, how am I supposed to end this book? And I don't remember exactly how it happened, but I decided to, to end it by talking about the, the 16 small stones that the brother of Jared created and how, you know, I was trying to create something that would bring light into the world. Um, but if it was, if any light comes to the world because of my writing, like it isn't because of me, it's because, you know, God has, has sanctified my words to, to, to give light to other people. And so, and so that, that's how I ended it. And so I, after writing like the, the new ending paragraphs, I sent them off to, to Beth who'd been helping me with the whole process. And each chapter of my book is based on a question. And then she pointed out, she said, Ben, you, you answer 16 questions in your book. Like those are your 16 stones you're trying to like create and, and give to the world. And, and so ever since that moment, I was like, there is something like to the story of the brother of Jared. So I spent a lot of time was like thinking and pondering about the beginning, like the, the, that story of, of the brother of Jared. And it's really interesting that, um, you know, the, the way uh, it starts in either one is, is Jared asks his brother, to pray that the, that their language won't be confounded, and God gives him that blessing. And then he then Jared asks Brother Jared to pray and ask God not to not to confound the language of their friends and family. And, and then that that's granted too. And then Jared gets really bold and he asks Jared or the brother Jared to, to to pray and ask God if if God will lead them out of the promise out of this land. If He will, if He'll lead them to the, to the promised land. And so brother jared prays and and, and uh god responds and he says i will take you to the promised land and it says that they, they went to a place that that man had never been before and you know i think i think that is just so beautiful and so powerful that, that god is willing to take us to places we have never been before and he's willing to give us the very best that he has for us and you know if we're going to follow the model in either one the first thing that happened is they had to have language where they could communicate with each other like the way that they they got there was by being able to communicate and getting to know one another. And then they were able to ask for the very best the Lord had to offer. And the Lord was ready to grant that. And so, you know, I don't know what the promised land is. You know, I don't know what what building Zion is going to look like or um, how it's all going to how, how it's all going to roll out. But I know that that God has like his very choicest blessings in store for us if we just ask for them and work for them. I love that. I read um, scriptures kind of through LGBTQ ally eyes these days, Ben. I've been doing that for about four or five years. And and what you just taught about the brother Jared in this new promised land and how it could be a healthier, more healing land for all these different groups you talked about in your class, including LGBTQ, just seems like part of the ongoing restoration. Um, isn't it? You know, listeners, we live in this beautiful church where there's an ongoing restoration. Um, to me, that gives me hope. 
Ben, would you love to be, would you love to have a life partner? Would you love to have a husband and, and fully participate in the church and not have to choose between the two? Yeah. You know, that's a great question. Richard. I, uh, you know, I, you know, I, I talk about in, in the book, I talk about a couple of times where I was thinking about stepping away from the church. Like, it hasn't just been a, a one-time thing where I'm like, is this the right place for me? Yes. And then I'm good to go. You know, every once in a while I, I check in and I think, you know, is this the right place for me? Am I supposed to move forward? Is having a, a same-sex partner the right thing? Is having uh, a, a, a female partner, is that the right thing? And I just like check in with God with all what I feel are my life possibilities. And the, the more and more I, 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 I do that, as I check in with God, uh, I just really feel like right now my life is supposed to be a, a life where I'm single. And, you know, I don't know what that's going to be like going forward. Um, you know, me personally, what would I want to be married to a man and participate in church? Yes, that is, that is exactly what I would want. Um, but more than that, like, more than that, what I want is for God's will. And I feel like God's will for, for me, for, for Ben Shalati, is the, the life I'm, I'm, I'm trying to live right now. Like, I'm trying my very best to live my life in accordance with God's will for me personally. And so what would I want that? Yes. But more than anything, what I want is to, to ascertain God's will for me and then do it. It's a great answer, Ben. And I'm just, I get tears in my eyes. Um, I love your honesty to what you'd love. You know, you'd love to have both of those parts about your love of the church and have a life partner, but you feel impressed. This is your path to walk. But I hope listeners that we don't someone who is fully participating in the church that actually hopes that something changes or a door opens that allows them to have companionship and participate in the church. I hope we don't criticize people like Ben or any other LGBTQ Latter-day Saint and just acknowledge the complexity of their situation without criticizing them that they hope that something changes. Listeners, I think it's part of our doctrine that our doctrine and our policy changes. I just I don't know God's will, and I'm not a leader of the church, so I don't sort of suggest what we should do. But if there's members or allies like me that hope that something changes as we continue to follow current teachings, especially for somebody like Ben and other LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, let's, let's create safety where they can open up about the true hopes of their heart without feeling judged, because I think they're more likely to just feel like they belong with us and feel like people are mourning with them um, where they are in reality. And, and are you okay with that, Ben? Yeah, I, I think that's great. You know, I, I think that if, if someone is, is, is openly saying, like, I hope the church changes, I, I think it should allow same-sex marriages. I think that we need to be very careful not, not to judge that person. I also just want to be clear that, like, that's, that's not what I'm saying. Um, you know, people, like, accuse me of having an agenda every once in a while. And, like, th- this is my agenda. Like, I'm not trying to change the church. I'm not trying to to influence any doctrinal or policy changes. Like that's not my my goal at all. Like my goal, like if, if my agenda is for people to to hear the stories of those people who they're close to. Like I just want us to really get to know one another. And so if someone hears my story and then reaches out to their LGBTQ sibling or cousin or neighbor and then asks to hear their story, like that is my agenda. That that is what I want to. Um, because you know, it, it's not my job to say what, what the church should and shouldn't do. Um, but I also believe, like you said, you know, I believe in continuing revelation and, and the Lord said in, in Doctrine and Covenants 121, that things will be revealed in this dispensation that have never been revealed before. And so I don't think it's my job to say what those things are. Um, but, uh, to, to trust that, that through 
his authorized servants, God is going to reveal some very important things. And what I am hearing church leaders say recently is that we need to build Zion by building up one another and getting to know one another. And that is my agenda, to build Zion by building one another. That's awesome. Um, other things, we're kind of at the end. Um, things, Anything else you would like to share with our listeners, Ben? Yeah, uh, Richard, I just want to say that I, I'm just like so glad for what you're doing that you're like elevating so many stories. Um, you know, every once in a while, we'll get a, an email to the podcast saying like, could you include like this specific kind of person? Like, I want to hear this kind of story. And, you know, what, what I tell them is, you know, my podcast is, isn't about like hearing every diverse experience. You know, Charlie and I, we, we make a joke about it at the beginning of every episode. Like we're, Charlie and I are very similar. Like we're like our, our podcast is, you know, we, we, invite our friends on to have interesting conversations. And I'm just so grateful that, that your podcast exists. And I, I hope our podcasts complement each other, that you would have so many diverse people on um, that, uh, that, that, you know, we can hear all, all kinds of experiences. And um, so I'm, I'm just, I'm just grateful for you and for, for the work of, of, of others who are, are elevating our voices and, and creating a space. So I just want to say thank you. You're welcome. Tell our list. I'm looking at your book cover again. Tell our listeners about the book artwork. Yeah, it's great. So, so uh, the book is called "The Walk in My Shoes," and I wanted to have something like I wanted the cover to be very. I wanted it to incorporate shoes, but I also wanted to say very clearly, like this is a book about being gay and being a Latter-day Saint. And so I was talking to my brother about it, and I was like, maybe I have like my scriptures and like a pair of shoes next to my scriptures with like rainbow laces. And I realized I was just basically planning the cover of the of the book, the uh, Ten Shoes Among the Nephites. And my brother said, "No, that is a terrible idea." You should be sitting in a metal chair in, in the overflow wearing rainbow socks. I was like, that's perfect. So I pitched the idea to Desiree Book and they loved it. And then my friend Deb like drew a little mock-up of it. And then when, on the day we did the photo shoot, they like had that little drawing that Deb did. Like, okay, we want to look just like this. And that's what it looks like. It looks just like the, the drawing Deb did. So so I wanted people to see the cover note. This is a book about being gay and being hilarious. Because who doesn't recognize the, that metal chair? It's a great cover artwork. Um, I just love the rainbow socks there. And I love that your dad wears a rainbow tie to church pretty frequently, what you've said, and just the support you have of your family. Yeah, it, it's funny. I, I was home for, for Christmas just now. And while I was home, uh, my family and I watched two LGBT-themed movies. And I was talking to a friend, and she's like, is that weird that like you guys do that? Like, Would you imagine that happening 10 years ago? Like, oh, I guess that is kind of a big step. I like hadn't even realized it was like a normal thing that we just like sit down to watch an LGBT movie the movie. But you know, it's just it's just just interesting how how family dynamics change and grow and how something that would have been like so weird 10 years ago it's like such a normal part of our family life. It's awesome. Listeners, please go read Ben's book, I'll walk in a walk in my shoes. Questions I'm often asked as a gay Latter-day Saint. Um, it's at Desert Book. It's at Amazon in February. Um, and share it with your local leaders. Um, as Ben said, Release Society Presidents, Bishop Stakes Presidents. I just recognize, as Ben knows very well, that there's a need for content in this space. Um, and this is a great book. It helped me, um, Ben's blogs. So this book will help all of you. And I just encourage you to share it with others and help us to come together as Zion. I encourage just love of our LGBTQ members. I don't like when I hear sometimes some referred to as faithful, the way they're walking this road as an LGBTQ Latter-day Saint and some less faithful. Let's just don't judge anybody 
And as Ben's teaching, let's just come together as the same human family and recognize that LGBTQ Latter-day Saints are going to walk a wide variety of roads. And our job is to love them, support them, and keep them in the circle of our family and honor their individual choices. If we really own our restored doctrine, I think we'd be at peace that their Heavenly Father's children he loves them, and we can just leave any judgment to our Savior and His perfect understanding. And that's relieving, because then we, as Ben is teaching and so many people have done in Ben's life, is just love and support and be kind. And please check out Ben and Charlie's podcast. It is awesome. If you haven't read any of the episodes, listened to any of the episodes, please start with episode 37. It's powerful. Um, but all those episodes are great. And I encourage, I love, other, you know, as a podcast guy, I like other podcasts to be successful. I've always felt my job as an ally is not to sort of say, well, is to just bring voice to other podcasts and other books. And so that makes me happy that this kind of podcast exists. Um, any final thoughts, Ben, before we sign off? Yeah, once again, just, just thank you, Richard. Thank you for what you do and for inviting me on. Appreciate what you do. All right, this is Ben Shalati and Richard Osler signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. Mm-hmm.